0: Welcome to Building Tomorrow, a show about how tech and innovation are making the world a better place. I'm your host, Paul Matsko, and I'm joined in the studio by Will Duffield and first-time guest host, Natalie Dalzicki, whose many responsibilities at Libertarianism.org include making sure that these episodes go out on time. Um, true confession, this would all fall apart without, without Natalie. Welcome to the show. Thanks. Now, today we're going to talk about the future of pet ownership, along with some like, kind of cool new gadgets, new trends. We're going to get into pet cloning, all of which reflect the changing relationships of owners and their animals. Now, I own a great big greyhound, but he's not nearly as famous as your roommate's pet, Natalie. Uh, it's a, what, like a... Uh, a pomeranian a shih tzu a a fox rat hybrid what is it she's a corgi a corgi Okay. (laughs) and
1: and her name's pippa um so she's six months old this week actually um and before my roommate had ever adopted well before she came to our apartment um my roommate created an instagram for her um from the very first photo that the breeder sent us she's from uh a breeder in iowa that only breeds corgis. Um, And for the first month or so of her life, since we were worried um, about leaving her at home during the work hours, um, she actually went to work with my roommate. Um, My roommate works in a, a senator's office on Capitol Hill um, where she grew her fan base um, mm-hmm. so it's actually pretty common for pets to come in or, well dogs for that matter to come in on um, Mondays and Fridays when the senate isn't in session yeah. um, for workers but she came in she was lucky enough to come in um, for that whole month so she got a lot of attention
0: I saw it kind of trot- trotting around the halls of congress in some pictures was,
1: yeah so she got yeah. featured in a roll call <laughs> um, <laughs> a roll call page as well as a video um, and my roommate has this like Goal to get Pippa to have a picture with each senator on her Instagram account,
0: <laughs> so she's already like better known than every other intern on Capitol Hill. Basically, Probably, right? yeah. yeah.
1: Okay.
0: <laughs> so this is she has what, uh, nine hundred followers or something on Instagram, yeah, something like some that. There. Yeah. 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 So uh, this actually, I think, brings us to this new trend that we've seen for for people. Like, I mean, there are people on Instagram, Instagram influencers who have large fan bases that will recommend – they're kind of sponsors for products, like and often um, fashion, clothing, and cosmetics, right? So, you know, do you like my smoky eye? Well, it's because of Maybelline or – I think they're a cosmetic company. They're, yeah. a, cosmetic yeah, company. they're a cosmetic company. Right. Then buy Maybelline, right? But we're seeing this blend over into the world of pet ownership, right? Aren't they like pet Instagram influencers or something?
1: Right. So, like, since we – have Pippa on Instagram. I've been well, my suggested searches have now all been dog Instagrams rather than people ones. Um and some dogs have up to like twenty or thirty thousand followers and they like run ads all day long. They do videos and people will be like it seems like they have a pretty loyal fan base. <laughs> they'll be like checking in looking for like different challenges certain dogs do or like if her dog gets that type of bone and loves it, my dog should have it too. Um so there's definitely a strong
2: does the, uh, the monetization element function similarly to other sorts of Instagram... Influencer advertising scheme?
1: Yeah, so it's pretty similar. Um, because we were joking that we want to get Pippa enough followers so that she can start c- contributing rent to the <laughs> apartment. Um, but I think it probably starts at like your lower level. You get the product for free to like um advertise it, but then um to a certain degree it'll it has the same advertising scheme.
0: Are you guys there yet? No. Getting, <laughs> getting free product. Not least? yet. So the, cross my fingers. The real technical legal question, right, is uh if if um. She appears in a photograph with, like, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. That's going to boost her follower count. But then also, you know, AOC gets a cute corgi in her Instagram feed, which is worth some followers. Is that an in-kind contribution from Pippa I don't to know. the senator? We should look into uh, it. I know.
1: <laughs> I know there have been some senators that have posted a picture of them with Pippa on their, like, Facebook and stuff. Smart, so, Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: We what in in this day of of uh, party polarization? What it's institute? it's by
1: Paul to in uh, action. <laughs>
0: no, no, <laughs> Will yep. will can't take it. <laughs> he's he's uh, retching over there. Um, so I mean, that's it, it's interesting in part because I think we see this re- reflected in the idea of pets on social media. We. That's been something like it's, – it's something of a joke now that if you're on Facebook, as soon as someone has a kid, their profile picture becomes a picture of the kid. And you never see a picture of that person again. It'll be – you have to go back years to find a profile picture of the person and not their kid. In a sense, you can kind of see this being mirrored in the social media realm f- for pets. I mean we're kind of treating that pet in a sense like a kid. Um and maybe we have pushes it over
2: more towards consumption good rather than companion. Oh, interesting. Okay, I mean that's how I view it.
0: Yeah, flesh it out. Well,
2: when when the pet is there to be shown off on on Instagram, and particularly the pets of. Influencers who are already quite famous to begin with, Mm -hmm. um, it can often seem as though the pet is simply another accessory, Mm -hmm. um, just like the Ferrari they're showing off.
0: Especially if you can literally shove it in your handbag, right? One of the little little ones that's an accessory for you an accessory. Um, And uh, now this gets to something that has happened. I mean, we can talk some here about how reliable these statistics are. But there does appear to have been an increase in the pet ownership rate here in the United States from like the mid fifties some like fifty some percent of of American households a generation ago owned pets now it's about sixty eight percent so over two thirds of of households and that is despite some other trends that we'd expect to run count- contrary to that, which is that um the home ownership rate has declined since the financial recession, and yet the pet ownership rate has gone up slightly and usually people buy pets once they get houses i mean when i back when i rented i could never own a pet because well the...
2: i think it's important to think about what kind of pet we have in mind here mm. are we talking dogs or having a betta fish uh, one of those is more home ownership contingent than the other.
0: I still think the number of fish is actually higher than that of cats or dogs, if I remember the statistics. It's all the college kids that get fish. Yeah. They get fish and then kill them. So I guess if you get to count each fish that you, you know, if you kill a dozen in a year because you forget to feed them, <laughs> that, that oh, really boosts
2: people the People take statistics. good care of their fish. <laughs> but you also, in terms of stats, very few people have
0: 30 dogs. People with an aquarium have many fish. That's a good point. Though I think it's a percentage of households. So we we own more we own more pets than, or a higher percentage of people own pets, put it that way, than ever before. Um, we also spend more on pets than ever before. Uh, the number I saw was in 2017, $86 billion in, in pet products with a growth rate of 5%, which is like when you look at inflation charts – and, and libertarians we love to point out these inflation charts we're like look things that the market provides get cheaper over time and things that the state provides like the cost of education or health care um, have a, a you know a high growth rate in the cost well this is a, a market that's growing about as rapidly as as the inflation rate for education right what
2: what a ele- percentage of that do you think is regulatory compliance driven what do you mean uh, over the past 30 years or so, it's become much more regulatorily intensive to own a dog or a cat, maybe not a fish, but uh, the requirements that it be locally registered, up to date with its shots, spayed and neutered, chipped potentially – these the are all pretty costly.
1: In an apartment too, there's monthly pet fees. There's usually deposit fees, that kind of stuff. But that,
2: I mean, yeah. I guess we can consider that regulation kind of, of the sort, yeah. but uh, yeah. the private governance of pets or pet ownership. Um,
0: yeah, it's interesting. You think you could measure but, whether you know, the- Parsing
2: out like medical cost versus, yeah. and obviously the more when we see the insurance rate for the number of pets insured going up, um, there's- a Care element there, but it's also the fact that because the pet has become more expensive, it's now a better move to insure it.
0: Yeah, you would think you could measure like the upfront capital cost going up because of, say, mandatory chipping or or other you know other fees or like a municipality that requires spaying and neutering before adoption. You know that
2: I believe in New Jersey, it was they were talking about increasing the uh, gun license fee. And one of the politicians saying that, uh, well, it's ridiculous. It now costs more to register a dog than a gun. (laughs) I agree that it's ridiculous, but we ought to lower the cost of registering a dog, um, not bring guns up to (laughs) parity.
0: That's become the new measure for everything. Like, is it expensive? Well, it costs less than registering a dog. Therefore – but we're, we're spending more for whatever reason. I mean, I, I suspect some combination of upfront capital costs being higher, but then also people seem to be spending more on on just consumer goods, toys, toys and things like that. We can actually talk about some of those goods. Like uh, I think you guys have a Furbo.
1: Yeah. So we have a Furbo. They're like, I believe it was on Shark Tank or a version of it was on Shark Tank. Um, it's essentially, I mean, what it is is a a baby monitor that can shoot out treats to the dog um so the the camera is like right outside pippa's crate and it has a sensor for um noise and motion um so if she barks my roommate will get a notification on her phone at work that says like your dog is currently barking (laughs) which like if you think about it could be kind of sad if you can't go home and like console the puppy um and then also it has an option to like shoot out treats to the to Pippa, um, just to, like make her happy. Um, so it's very similar, very similar to like a baby monitor in this sense, um, except, I mean, you're leaving the dog there during work all day rather than it's just sleeping at night. I, and I totally Providing
2: food through it.
1: Yeah. I mean- It shoots out treats.
2: I, I can't help but wonder how the dog conceives of such a thing, especially <laughs> over time. And when it's a puppy, does it begin, you know, if you're spending- if it's spending eight hours with that thing while you're at work and seeing you it's after work, is testing. it imprinting yeah. more on, yeah, yeah. The, the machine than you? And particularly as these things become more advanced in – in you wonder about it with dog walkers just in a human-to-human you know, oh, yeah, human yeah. social comparison. But this this really ups the ante.
1: Well, even for dog walkers, there's tons of apps now. There's WAG, Rover, where you can like just go on – like. You can – I think it's as simple as like you get a background check and then suddenly you're a, a expert dog walker and you can walk – someone can just like pick you on the app and you can go walk their dog at lunchtime.
0: Yeah. I, I, I like the idea that uh, here's, a, here's a pitch for a movie script. You know, millennia from now, they'll, they'll realize the first stirrings of our future canine overlords came – uh, because they invested furbos with religious zeal, they started to think of them as like a, a godlike figure that they had they had to worship at the altar of to get treats. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I I would probably um, I would pay some large sum of money for a device that allowed me to like remotely shoot treats at my toddler. You know, I mean, I you, know, it, and it's interesting the connection you made to we, we can build it. I mean, that literally <laughs> that's, that's an our Ard- weekend Arduino <laughs> project <laughs> is possible is that tie between baby monitors and dog monitors. And, and you can also like a lot of daycares now have monitoring systems where you can watch your kid. Um, They'll send you notifications when the kid cries or when it poops or when it snaps or whatever. Right. Um, And that sense of we are starting to invest um, both resources, but also emotional energy in our pets. Like we think of as investing in kids. Um, in a way that I think would have been kind of alien even a generation ago. Like even when the pet ownership rate was still quite high, people didn't necessarily think of pets in this, as members of the family in quite the same way they do now. And you can see that by we spend more on their health care. Like, insurance rates were almost zero except for like show dogs 10 years ago. Now they're, what, 10% of animals?
2: I think there's there's some of that on the member of of the family. Mm-hmm. There's also... An identitarian element mm. vis-a-vis the dog owner and I think of this more with regard to single dog owners but um, might apply more broadly that, yeah, you it's easier to become and there is more of a script for being <laughs> a dog person and really organizing your life in a sense around your dog and going either to the dog park or – Urban activities that are coming back, like ratting. Uh, you take your, your <laughs> dog really out and go back? ratting. Yeah, yeah. Um,
1: <laughs> I mean, there is a happy hour at a bar not far from us recently. It was like, bring your dog and like show off its long hair. It was like long hair dog day at the bar. And somebody <laughs> out there is like
2: wow. a calendar of all exactly. of those bar events throughout wow. out the week. Um, yeah. I do so not I, <laughs> yeah, I don't know whether it's just a sort of we place greater onus on – Individually chosen identities, um, and that's something that you can be now.
0: I mean, there is a, I mean, this is you know, Robert Putnam's article, the Bowling Alone thesis, right? That declining sociability in the real world, you know, fewer people bowling in bowling leagues. And so people have this sense of like, ain't no me, rootlessness, a lack of belonging. So they find new ways of forming community around. You know, those bonds used to be formed around, I don't know, church attendance or neighborhood, literally growing up in the same neighborhood and living their whole life or bowling leagues or the union or whatever. But now we can select our own identities and we're moving around constantly. So let's make it about... Dog ownership or and you can become
2: part of an international community of enthusiasts for your dog breed. Mm. I can find a subreddit just for Nova Scotia duck tolling retrievers. Is that your dog, Will? I don't I don't have oh. one, but I'd really like one. They're lovely <laughs> kind <of> dogs.
0: <laughs> well and then once you get the Nova Scotia duck Tolling. Duck tolling. They they
2: run retriever. about back and forth on on mm. beaches. Oh, Their tails flash about, and okay.
1: uh, so it, so a dog
2: a do- yeah, it
0: brings <laughs> brings birds that's, in. That's yeah. the the tolling that's motion t- being yeah. described. Yeah. Um, once you have that dog, you can then use a uh, dig, which is the dog person's dating app, uh, to select only people who also have Nova Scotia tolling retrievers, and. Uh, Right, I mean that's that's the ultimate next step. If if you're, you've selected your identity, oh yeah, you're from the perspective, yes, <laughs> right. We're literally going to make our biological imperative finding other people who also share that identity. Oh, that and... gets
2: even weirder than with cats because you're you're finding someone who also has toxoplasmosa. Oh yeah, they're all um, infected, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah. you need someone else with the same brain, cat-borne brain parasites as you, <laughs> so you can take care of cats together.
1: Will, do you think you'll refer to yourself as a dog dad?
2: No. No. I'd really uh, – I, why? I, are, are you a momager? I don't think no. that's <laughs> a healthy no, no, no.
0: sense of identity. Um, <laughs> but it, it is one, right? I mean that's that's what's interesting about is? all this is the extent to which people are investing that kind of – Amount of their self, of their identity, of obviously their finances and everything that goes along with that in their pets. And that's not – I mean, I'm agnostic about whether that's a good or a bad thing. It's just – it's a thing, right? Um, Yeah, and there was a a kind of tragic
2: case. Um, I'm from Chester County, Pennsylvania. It's an area in flux going from rural farm community to developments. And someone – from the development side let their dogs run they were allegedly harassing someone's sheep the farmer shot the dog and the question was whether the family who owned the dog ought to be compensated as though a member of their family had been harmed Mm. you know damages based on the emotional impact of having this dog taken from you right right or as livestock yeah, because from the farmer's perspective, someone else's livestock are killing his livestock, and that's an issue. Yeah, and because if the sheep on the other killed, side, it's yeah, your the part of your family has been taken away from you, and it, it just speaks to that that difference in conception of pets between uh, an older world
0: and.
1: So I guess teacup pigs make it a little that a little that bit hazy, right? <laughs> right?
0: You can eat it, but you might not. Yeah, yeah.
1: And it would be technically farm animal. <laughs> it is. Pigs, we raise yeah. them
0: and eat them, right? And there's not a lot of – well, there are puppy farms, puppy mills, but not for consumption here. <laughs> um, I think the first time I kind of thought about this distinction, like how different that was from the old world, kind of quite literally, um, there was this book by a historian named Robert Darnton called The Great Cat Massacre, if you ever go to – History grad school. You'll read it at some point, but it's all about there were these apprentices in medieval Paris, and working for um, a printer, as I, as I recall, I think it was a printer, and um, they were mistreated by their master by the by the printer, and they uh, in reta- but the master had a favorite cat, and they they felt like the cat was treated better than they were, and um, so. They basically ended up tricking the master. They pretended to be cats at night, caterwauling to keep the master up. And eventually the master got frustrated and said, take care of the problem. So the apprentices then went and like rounded up hundreds of cats and slaughtered, tortured and slaughtered them all. And the kind of a festival It was a very merry kind of scene. And Darton uses that to illustrate this idea of that, like a couple of things he's, he's interested in doing some other work with that. But what's interesting from a pet ownership perspective is that what well, was first of all the casual cruelty like if you did that now that would be horrifying we used to but at do the lots time it was terrible just terrible bear, right, bear baiting, baiting. Yeah. Goose fighting. Pulling. Cock fighting cockfighting so like that's not that surprising the lesson but the other thing here was that essentially what's going on you have this new category of of the bourgeoisie you have people like printers who uh they're something different and this is early middle ages uh, or you know like 14th century and so we're seeing the first stirrings of like an urban bourgeoisie who own capital, who are entrepreneurs, who run businesses. And you have people who are on the outside of that looking in. And what do they fixate their resentment on? The fact that they treat animals better than people. The concept of pets was yeah. angering to them. And so they back, that's, that's where the backlash went. They directed it towards these things that were not just animals they are being treated like people. So something different. I mean, I think this is part of our modern, you know, bourgeois capitalist society: is that we are able, we have both the the financial luxury and the emotional energy to invest that but significance. I think we in.
2: still do look askance at juxtapositions of pets being treated like people and mm-hmm. people being treated like beasts of burden. Um, the skepticism that accompanies. Middle Eastern princes who rely upon effectively slave labor from uh, Southeast Asia with pet tigers that mm-hmm. uh, have mm-hmm. their own chefs. And and we see that as at the very least de classe, if not uh, <laughs> yes, something yeah. worse. That's true.
1: Well, it's also interesting because in like today's world, isn't it a bit Like, okay, so if I'm a younger millennial and I want to go, I want to have ownership over something other than myself and I'm not looking to have children right now. Oh, I'm going to get a pet. So I go adopt a pet because specifically because it's not a human and I don't want the risk and costs that come with that. But then I treat it like a human,
2: right? which is
1: like a little bit of a paradox in terms of like you didn't you. That's what we not what we intended when we went to go adopt a pet. Yeah, was, to take care of a human
2: is is that uh is is it the child that the pet is replacing?
0: Well, there was that one article on here where they talked about forty four percent of millennials will say that when they own a pet, it's, they think of it as a starter child. It's like a uh, trial run, a guinea pig. You know, you can figure things out before you have the kid.
1: It's not. It's not so as risky. It's, <laughs> it's not as
0: risky. It's like
2: liminal. Yeah, but it's if not. You look at when. You know, people are getting these pets really before they would even likely be um having a child, yeah. but not before they'd be getting married. And uh in this it's uh Institute for Family Studies piece by Lyman Stone, he argues that pets are more a replacement for spouses Ooh, amongst interesting. young people today. That's interesting, yeah. Um I'll, I'll, I'll quote that. him here. Pets are often described as providing companionship, emotional support, security, or a sense of home or rootedness for pet parents. But these aren't traits that describe a child. These are traits that describe a husband or wife. (laughs) With my generation postponing the commitment of marriage due to any, any number of other reasons, the need for a reliable companion who is committed to stay until death do it part may simply be transferred onto pets rather than people." I can see that. I would yeah, and I, I, I would tend that. to yeah, that especially if you look at how uh, especially the, the juxtaposition of of pets and and breakups um yeah. you know, and your your boyfriend or girlfriend leaves you but at least you still have your dog. Or,
1: <laughs> or in or the worst case battle. Or yeah, you have the
2: custody yeah, battle. That's become a big deal. All the old yeah.
0: country songs, she left me and she took my dog. Yeah. Um yeah. So, I mean, whether we think of—I mean, it's part of the family. Whether it's a spousal substitute or a sense a kid substitute, it's there's something going on there where we're investing them with like familial uh, energy. Um, and I and mean, a lot of that is—I mean, as they and pointed out in the I article, it, I
2: mean, families are getting smaller today. Yeah. We have People fewer have, children than ever and, before, and have fewer cousins and extended families. So yeah. it may just be well, I could build out my circle a little yeah. bit with this dog.
0: I mean, once upon a time, you would, you know, my parents tell stories of growing up, going to family reunions once a year, every year, meeting hundreds of random second cousins. Who has a family that large anymore? Right? It's it's got giving. I do. well, but it compounds <laughs> yeah. with each generation. It gets smaller. You have a and, smaller extended and crop. like my my grandparents, they met. They were they were not of blood, but it was like a you know there was a remove. They were like in laws of a second cousin. Right? Like it was literally your, so much of your social circle. That's how you met potential spouses. It was – right? We've got – the clan is shrinking. So if you want to be a spouse, meet – add someone to your family, a dog, and then meet someone else who also likes dogs and shares the various virtues you invest in being a dog owner. Like if you're a dog owner, you must be more responsible than non-dog owners, what people – in fact
1: – It's all signaling.
0: It's it's signaling, Right? It's a kind of account- – interestingly, we just did this Green New Deal episode last week, but I was thinking about this. It's kind of a an opposite signal among a certain set of folks our age. Um, I, I've had friends who won't have children because they think it's environmentally irresponsible that people well, are – that's ne- ridiculous. Well, people yeah, had well. children during the plagues.
2: <laughs> I, I, I
0: have no time for that sentiment. Well, not irresponsible for the kid. There are some who do that, but others who think it's – Because each person is a net loss for the planet's environment, it's irresponsible for the sake of the planet doing it. That's stupid. Right. Well, I I don't agree (laughs) with it. But but yet they wouldn't say the same thing. Those same folks are some of the most ardently pro-pet, like pet rights, rescuing, you know, rescue dogs. Mm -hmm. The same logic applies. Every pet you add is actually a net drain on the global environment. But one signals warm and cuddly things – are oh, they the
2: understanding way. pets as natural in a sense, yeah,
0: as of the earth in
2: a way that they are not? Yeah, it's kind of something. I don't know. That seems like one plausible way of getting there, but yeah, yeah. it requires a, bit of a, stretch. a pretty strict like human-animal
0: divide. Yeah, it's true. Well, and, and to give ourselves a break here, it like we face a situation which having a kid is incredibly – it's not, It's always been hard for everybody to have children, I mean, throughout human history, but we're at the point now where it is, it is drastically expensive. The cost of having a child, of finding child, yeah care, to have a kid in a socially acceptable fashion. Yeah. seems seems difficult. Like My understanding is the cost of one kid today is equivalent to the cost of having like two or three kids a generation ago. In terms of the total share of familial wealth, well, they can't do labor for you anymore either. <laughs> right. Yeah, you I know, you have to go back two generations for that for us. Uh, and know.
1: also, a dog doesn't come with a college tuition price tag.
2: That's true. Oh yes, I mean, that's
1: just got puppy school, that's that's right.
2: Right. and then not even college tuition. Daycare. <laughs> I yeah, mean exactly. You look at what people, especially in urban settings, are paying for daycare. These there
1: days. is doggy day camp, though. You. <laughs> <laughs> That is there the thing. is,
2: however, if you don't send your dog to doggy day camp, I doubt your your circle of friends are going to judge you to the same extent as if uh, you decide to homeschool your kids or not send them to daycare or whatever. Yeah.
0: Um, I, I think what I want to push back against here a bit is that um, some of the articles that we read, like there was this National Catholic Register one. I saw a Federalist article – which observed all the same data where we've been talking about you know, rising dog ownership, more and more millennials, yada, 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 kid substitutes. And we're very, uh, I think the technical term is judgy, <laughs> very judgy about it. And to me, it's this it's an unintended function of a broader social changes. Yeah, they're like judging we're getting,
2: an effect, not a cause. Right.
0: We're getting married later. We're having kids later. It's more expensive to have them. If you can get- And like, those are all issues, but- Targeting dogs it's, isn't going right. to fix any of it. Yeah, right. You're you're going after a you know a, yeah a symptom, not a root cause. And uh, if you can get ten percent of the pleasure of having a kid out of having a pet, you can do it for ten for ninety percent less. So right, it's I, I so I don't a lot blame of that. Folks is too. just
2: a disgust impulse. You know, you see a a dog in a child's pram effectively going down the <laughs> yeah. street. And
0: there's something
2: that strikes you as just wrong about this. Yeah, yeah.
0: Cultural norms. You should really be caring
2: it. for a child with that, not babying this animal. Right,
0: right. But, you How know, I feel that. But... We're, but we're not the most conservative lot here. So I think our our, our disgust uh, muscles are, are weak compared to folks at the National Catholic Register. <laughs> um, now, pushing this forward. Okay, so... A little future vision here. Uh, I'm interested in the so all the trends we've talked about: declining birth rates, delayed marriage, delayed childbearing. Um, those are those are things that are accelerating, right? They're going to become true. They're true in the U.S. Uh, and they're going to become more true here and more true of more of the rest of the world over time. I mean, I, I'm actually trying to get an interview with um, authors of this book about global population decline, but they basically say by 2050, net global population will start to decrease. And we're all going to end up looking like Japan, where there are far more pets, even though the, the, the pet ownership rate is lower in Japan than in the US, it's like a quarter of households, It is they are significantly more pets in Japan than there are children. And that's our future, this aging, graying population with relatively few children, each generation being smaller than the last. So, I don't want
2: to accept that future, but OK.
0: Well, but it's already true of us. If you if you take out in migration, the US already – the native-born US population is below repl- replacement I, rate. I know. I
2: just – I don't yeah. want to see – accept this as a fixed future that we are doomed to because if that is our future, we are doomed it's kind of depressing. I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> point there in a next generation. So you should
1: get an emotional support dog. So,
0: so in the face of this existential nihilism, give a give a pet. No, uh, <laughs> that's a that's a depressing way of no, taking. But
2: it. But taking current pet trends into the future and bringing bringing some sci-fi in, some how people have thought about how folks will relate to pets in the future. You do see a, a sort of fixation on. The pets as a as a status symbol consumption good paradigm taken in some of uh William Gibson's books to the point of wealthy folks bringing back mm-hmm. extinct animals mm-hmm. to serve as vanity pets um in one case a thylacine or Tasmanian devil <laughs> um which you know when you think about it that would be, be pretty cool, cool. Yeah. um I mean, but Pitbull also is a, looks exactly like a... the mm-hmm. You know what's better than uh, having a tiger? Having cloned an extinct tiger, you're now cooler than the guy with the tiger and higher <laughs> status, or a woolly mammoth at the end of that, that well,
0: train. And this prospect is closer than it, than our, you know. Some of our listeners might think. I mean, you you actually had this article about someone who was cloning and, and cloning their pet. And there's a lawsuit that's yeah, come out. People but do
2: clone that's become their common, pets. right? Um, in in this case, someone had. What was the smallest dog in the world for a while, a chihuahua named Miracle Millie. And they (laughs) wanted to clone this dog um, so they could have more of them in the future, maybe sell some, whatever. They contract with a South Korean cloning firm, get their, their 10 Miracle Millies. And then they find out that there are 39 other Miracle Millies out there. And the firm has allegedly – we'll see how this, how this goes. The suit's just been filed in a, a federal court in Florida. Um, but that they, they breached contract. They made a bunch of extra dogs and then gave them to other third parties um, and that in a sense that the pet's DNA – It's genetic makeup, which the owner sees as their property, um, has been stolen from them by this firm. They contracted to just clone a couple dogs.
0: And while right now, I think it still costs quite a lot to do this, like six figures, the cost has been falling. I mean, there'll come a point in time where for five grand, you can get your dead pet cloned and you can have Pippa... Mark two. It's very Mark silly. Three. Don't do it. It won't <laughs> be like the dog, you know, and love. <laughs> yeah. It turns out, you know, DNA genetic determinism is not, you know, nature, nurture. There are lots of gonna differences even yeah. within a litter. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, but people are going to do it because it's going to remind them it's going to look like their old dog. And so people are, people are going to do it. Um, and I, I would expect though, that what we just talked about in the U S is, People delaying marriage, delaying childbearing, and filling that chronological gap and that kind of need for companionship with pets. In a sense, we're talking about a future, even if it's only medium term and not long term, a decline, we'll we'll go for the most hopeful possible vision-free will. There's going to be a time where as there are fewer children born in the society, in a sense, there is more of that gap, that yearning for companionship and longing. I would expect pet ownership rates – uh the rates themselves, the spending on pets, cloning of pets, all of this is going to continue to rise. And it's gonna be something that I think in fifty years people will look back at now and previous generations, we're gonna be the weird ones. We're gonna be like the bear baiters. Like you you mean that, you know, you mean that you were alive when when like one percent of pets had pet insurance? What kind of inhumane policy is that that you didn't have universal insurance for pets? Right? Like that kind of conversation is gonna become um possible in the future. Uh they're also on this front. Oh, I did want to touch on robots. Um robots as pet substitutes. So this is where Japan comes in because it you know you get all this this toy market innovation that's kind of like pet replacement. Those little have you seen those little um the dog ones, Aibo? Aibo? Yeah, they relaunched them. They're like robot dogs you can have. In in Europe there's a uh, they're called perros. They're like little fluffy seals that you give to, you know, uh, senile old people to like for companionship right. for comfort. And so it's filling well, that it same is, niche, right? It is interesting the extent to which people seem
2: to bond with them, because you had even after official support was discontinued from Sony, um, sort of third party techno vets um, mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. stepped up to Keeping keep them, these dogs yeah. alive. And eventually, um, they even had Shinto funerals for them. Um, yeah, when you say like
1: a, keep these dogs alive, does that mean like plug them in to charge, or what do you or mean? Re-
2: replace components that the, have worn out that would otherwise because even saying
1: it's alive is giving mm-hmm. a human
2: well, I'm buying into their of... conceit there, but if they're willing to take these steps and in the end have a funeral for the thing. Um, yeah. They certainly see it as having some transcendent value um, or being deserving of that respect.
0: Well, and here we get to this. I mean, you can imagine – so we recognize robots are not actually alive and and there's all kinds of studies which show that it initially there's this kind of uncanny valley treatment of robots that people are either attracted to them because they look kind of lifelike or weirded out by them. Um, but eventually they become – it becomes routinized rut- and we stop. That effect stops, right? Um, but imagine if we could actually make them kind of alive, which is make them intelligent. So imagine a robot pet that has an artificial intelligence in it, which means it learns, evolves, and grows. It has a, a unique personality from other robot pets. It, it, it conforms to your interests. It reads you, learns you, figures out how to better comfort you. Like, it's a logical application of AI technology and, you know, personal robot as pet replacement oh, you'll technology. You'll see all sorts of blurry...
2: Products that sit between traditional social categories. Um, okay. E- looking to Japan again and other places in Southeast Asia, these uh, digital boyfriend apps seem pretty popular. Um, and there's a you know man in your phone who you need to, to keep happy and go on dates with, and he says nice things <laughs> about your appearance <laughs> and all of that. But next episode
0: we make now. There, down you know, there's,
2: there's there's a romantic aspect. As well, but it's also a, a physical gadget. Um, and I, you know, obviously, the idea of combining physical gadget and pet and and romance at the moment kind of cringy. But uh, we we don't know the ways in which we may blur these categories going forward.
1: Also, the the quality of being a pet Instagram follower myself, the quality of Instagrams for dogs, if they're robots, I think will decline because a lot of the pets I follow on Instagram are funny to follow because they do funny or stupid things and they like, they'll get all excited and they'll bump their head against the wall or something like that. And that's cute. But if a robot is just processing and not necessarily doing the cute things that make dogs have personalities, then it's going to be a decline for- We tend to
2: anthropomorphize. I mean, what was it? Jibo, one of those home assistant robots this week, was being spun down. Like the server clusters had all been sold off and the thing wasn't going to be able to work anymore. And it gave a, I'm sorry, I'm dying soon, dance, which (laughs) had people in tears. Um, So they they Even though we know that's programming, right, yeah.
0: Well, or or the what was it the Mar the Mars rover right? Uh, I, I'm I'm cold. It's getting dark.
2: Well, and yeah. People, are and people
0: saying, well, we need to go to Mars so we can get the
2: rover back so we can give it a proper burial. And it's you know you're getting ahead of yourself there completely. Yeah. But it is interesting that that's what inspires some people to to take the path to Mars. Like we need to, to pick up our anthropomorphized <laughs> right. companion and help him out. Yeah. Um, not no, so much the future of humanity, but no, no. driven by this emotive <laughs> connection that we've created to something we built.
0: Yeah. Though, and I think in the Rover case someone pointed out that 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 phrase that got repeated and yeah, went viral was a journalist um, Ra- Isn't that waxing rap- Isn't That a howl
2: it. reference? They're like it's getting dark.
0: Yeah, I think yeah, it was that part is the how they reference. were just they just kind throwing of, that in. They were, I mean, the thing sent back a signal saying can't sense sun, running out of energy, and they made it more poetic sounding and referenced. Yeah, um, but that that shows the power we wanted that thing to be alive. It's not alive. It's, it's a robot, right? It does not have feelings or and personality. And at the
2: same time, if we actually felt it was alive and sent it to Mars to <laughs> wander around <laughs> until it's died, that would be terrible. <laughs> we wouldn't be comfortable
0: well, with that or ought not. We least. did it with Matt Damon and he ended up okay. So. <laughs> yeah, the point wasn't to send him there one way. <laughs> That's good. Well, this has been fun, guys. Thanks for joining us, Natalie. Thanks All again, fun. Will. Um, and until next week, be well. Thanks for listening. Building Tomorrow is produced by Tess Terrible. If you enjoy Building Tomorrow, please subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to learn more about libertarianism, find us on the web at www.libertarianism.org.